Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Combat Coach. And guys, there's a saying that never meet your heroes. Well, that's BS because the gentleman I'm about to interview is one of my heroes and we've been friends for a couple of years now and he is one of the most inspirational caring loving people that you'll ever meet and if you guys are in business get a piece of paper and pen out because we're going to be talking about sales face to face and everything else that goes with it tucker welcome to the show my brother how are <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, man. It's, it really is an honor to be here. How you doing, brother? Hey, w- without you, there would be no me, uh, because you were one of the first ones that ever had me on a show, and you were one of the, you're one of the, as they say it, you're an OG. <laughs> so you are the one, and you're one of the only people that I've actually had on twice. So how are you doing today, my friend? Man, I love this side of the dirt, don't you? Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm actually going to do it when we get off here. I, I do a, every Friday night, I do a, an episode. It's called um, Fridays with Fred. And Fred's my middle name, so it's kind of like an you know, alter ego. And uh, <laughs> we're gonna be, I'm going to be talking about how precious life is and how we need to enjoy every minute. And because, you know, we never know when, when, when daddy's going to take us home. Oh, so, yeah. so what's going on with you? Oh, man, I've been just been, you know, I, I got my uh, promotion uh, in Kirby. So now instead of being a dealer in the field, um, the DPS, so I hire and train everybody. And uh, it's week number six right now. And I am number two in the division. So I was number one in the division, but he got me for by one or two. <laughs> so, we're also going to talk about, you know, you got a book out and I can't wait to receive my copy. Uh, and I'm going to do a Facebook live about it when I receive it. So it's going to get double the attention. It should get you to you any day. I'm actually, I'm, uh, I mean, I've already shipped it out. Oh, it just, you know, you know how the local mail is with everything with COVID. Everything is backed up anyway. Yeah. Tell us, you know, because your story, I mean, I don't remember how we met. I don't remember if it was through Marshall if it was through uh, Stephen, uh, Sean Douglas or um, Robert Garcia, but I watched a video of you speaking and it made me cry. And which is not hard for me to do because I cry at, at the top, <laughs> at the drop of a hat. I guess that's what it is. You know, when you're an empath, you can, you're, you're like that. Yeah. But tell us your backstory a little bit. So, you know, cause everybody's, front story is because your backstory so tell us your backstory all right so well uh, i i fancy myself a practitioner of change um you know i've i'm right now they if you want to talk about titles i know people love titles so uh if you want it want a few (laughs) i'm a certified ziggler legacy uh, I am a keynote speaker. Uh, I've, I've, I'm, I'm also an anxiety expert and an, uh, and an expert in the world of autism um, and, and Asperger's. 
I personally have a neurological abnormality known as Asperger's and it's a, it hinders my natural abilities to understand social cues, emotional responses, and a plethora of other things that come along with it. And I know a lot of people that are here are listening to this are going to say, oh, well, they took that name away. It's not called that anymore. Those of us who are real, like with true Aspies, not self-diagnosed, people who like, we, we really, like it, it's, it's real. We're very proud of that term. Now, is, you know, you is, you know, my son is an Aspie and he is finishing his first year in college. So it's been a challenge for him, you know, being an Aspie and, you know, being in college, but still, you know, being around thousands and thousands of people, but still not getting the social clues. So he's still kind of, you know, keeping yeah. himself. So I totally get that, you know, and I love that you, you openly talk about that. And by the way, Zig Ziglar is probably the Ziglar family is one of the greatest families I've ever known. And I love Zig and I, I live by a lot of, you know, a lot of the things that he says. Hey, uh, Zig, is, it's, it's crazy. Like I, 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 I love Tom and Sandy Ziglar. The whole family is great. Uh, I never got the honor of meeting Zig Ziglar, but, um, one, but Tom Ziegler heard me speak on stage and, and he came to me and he told me uh, that I would do greater things from stage than any Ziegler that ever lived or ever will live would do. And that it, he wanted me to become a Ziegler legacy and, and carry on his father's name. And I cried. <laughs> I, I, I ain't gonna lie, man. I broke down. I didn't know how to, how to even respond to that. I mean that. I mean it was a yes, but like wow. But you want a little bit about the backstory? Um, the, my uh, the quick snippet is um, so in the past I w- I couldn't even go to grocery stores and 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 shop for groceries. I couldn't go get my own clothes and things like that. I couldn't even really go out to eat because being around people was crippling. I mean, it was my social anxiety was terrible and I would have panic attacks that would leave me in the hospital at times. And, um, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm 28 years old. I've had multiple heart attacks, <laughs> like not severe, but I have had heart attacks and been put in the hospital over anxiety. That's insane. So, um, anyway, I was working with horses at the time. I was grooming thoroughbred racehorses, and then the reason I was doing that is because I got to work with animals, and with animals, most people on the spectrum have a deep connection with animals, um, and and it's not really understood by science as to why it is, but the theory behind it is is that the animals are more prone to, like, where a dog will be will be more kind to a child whereas they'll show aggression to an adult it's almost the same thing with that animal whenever they they just feel it <laughs> it's it's strange but people and on the spectrum about, animal, i've been animal. studying a lot about how um so, some reason horses and people they a horse seems to get into the person's mind and they know when struggling there's oh my gosh yes. you know there's a kinship there is and it's like it's crazy if you if you look on my facebook you can look at uh, i believe it's in my profile pictures um there are pictures of me in stalls where thoroughbred racehorses are laying down in my lap 
and and like and and people are like that's crazy that's a 1200 pound animal you can't let them lay on top of you they would never hurt me and it and it's like it's it's crazy that that when you work with horses they have such an in-tune connection with their sixth sense that even if you don't show them that you're in a bad mood they'll act up and they'll pick on you and they'll nudge you and and mess with you and you can't figure out why until it clicks and then when you stop having the bad thoughts and your mood settles down and your spirit calms down, the horse follows suit and will do whatever you say. And it is the most mind blowing experience whenever you do it every day and you get to watch that actually happen. And then when you're having a bad day and you're crying, you're like I've, I've had, I've had days where, I mean, when you're working seven days a week, 14, 12, 14 hours a day, sometimes, like uh, 365 days a year and you're, you're making like $179 a week, sometimes 500, sometimes they forget to pay you. I'm mad enough to admit I sat in them stalls and cried sometimes while I was working and that horse would reach over your head and they would brush your tears from your face and, and push their head against you just to tell you, Hey, look, I'm here. And they were smart enough to know that. And so I was working with horses and I was looking for free movies on YouTube and I came across Ted talks. I was a start with why by Simon Sinek. I saw that, uh, saw that Ted talk and I was like, I just, I'd never heard of public speaking before. Um, and then all of a sudden I I saw that and I just, my, my, I got, I got dang uh, chills all over my body. Like I was, uh, from head to toe, I was just vibrating with this this energy, and I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And then I watched another TED, another TED talk, and I got that same energy and this essence, and it was just building. And I'm like, I don't know what this is, but it's addicting, and I want it. I want more. And I and 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 then I watched a, a video of Zig Ziglar, and he said, "You can have anything in this world you want." if you help enough other people get what they want. And I had a peridium shift that day. And I was like, I can do that. I can speak on stage. I can do this for people. I can make people feel the way that I, these people are making me feel. And and just like a fire lit within the catacombs of my spirit. Deep somewhere where I didn't even know it was. And that's and that was where the journey began. And I started going out. I actually got a started buying pizzas. Actually, it was uh, I was buying uh, get on my little back. I had a bicycle and I was making one hundred and seventy nine dollars a week. And I would take fifty dollars out of each paycheck and I would go to Little Caesars, which was like two or three blocks away. And I would get uh, seven hot and ready pizzas. Uh, Five dollar hot and ready pizzas. And I would strap them to the bicycle and I'd ride around uh, Louisville. Kentucky and Louisville, Kentucky is highly, highly populated with homeless people. I would ride up to homeless people and I would give them a pizza, then sit down beside them with a notepad, a pen, and ask them to uh, say, give them the pizza and say, tell me your story, brother. Share some wisdom with me. And I I began, uh, that's how I developed learning to communicate. Um, and uh, for, for sake of time, I could share the rest, but bro, uh, I I blocked out. Usually, I only do an hour for a podcast. I blocked out ninety minutes just for me and you to sit here with a cup of coffee and hang out and talk. 
So whatever, whatever's on, whatever God's on your heart, that's what we're going to talk about. All right. Well, uh, I tell you what, man. I, so, so the way that I made the transition, cause, cause you know, people say they meet me now and unless you've been around, like if you've seen me speak at events, um, like in the past, some of those events, so I get up on stage and I, I do put on a big show. That's why they're, I'm normally the last person to speak. Well, I've, um, been, I've been with you. I'm thinking probably, I want to say at least four or five years. And so, you just riding in the woods on your bike doing live videos. Yeah, and that, but I'm talking about on stage. When I get off stage, I a lot of times still panic once I get off stage. And it's just the it's like you you take a nuclear reactor and and it's chugging at its normal speed and then suddenly you 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 put it in a position where it it shifts into uh its fastest most powerful gear and it's just pumping out all this it's just pumping and pumping then at the end what you, you have to cool it down and that coolant it is hard to obtain in a room with 2000 people <laughs> it's, so I use, I don't know if you when you see me speak on stage a lot of times people will see me they say well you why didn't you get off stage and then go sit down in the audience and and whatever I get off stage and then I go back to backstage usually to the VIP room or wherever and I get away from everybody for a minute because that reactor has to cool down because it's functioning at a higher rate than it usually does so um so the way I made that transition when people see me, they're like, well, you don't until they see that or they hang around me enough and see my quirks. They don't realize there's no sign that I'm an Aspie like, because I've worked on myself so much, but people wonder, how did you make the transition? And realistically it happened in a single moment. I worked at it for about seven or eight months, but the change happened in an instant. So, I was one day I was out giving pizzas to homeless people and asking them their story. And there was this old black man and he had curly hair. And, uh, and, and I, I joke on stage when I talk about this and I say, no, it was not Curtis Lowe, <laughs> but it was, uh, but, uh, he, he was an old black man with curly hair. And I, and I sat down and I'll never forget this man. He, he said, can I tell you a story? And I was like, yes, sir. That's why I'm here. And he said, you remind me of a young man that was a lot like you. And he went to a monk's temple. The, uh, and he asked those monks to train him. And they told him, they gave him a chance. And he, he when he began training, uh, after, after a while of being there, one day the head monk, burst into the dorm while they were asleep early in the morning and yells, everybody, get up, get up, get outside, go now. And they get outside. There's a bunch of shovels waiting on and uh, a large pile of dirt. And he says, I want this pile of dirt moved from here to over there. And he points at a spot that was 100 yards away. So they begin moving. Them. It takes them three days to move the dirt. And when they're done, 
They're very proud of what they did. So they they put their shovels down and they go inside to rest. And, and then the next morning, the head monk bursts into the dorm, wakes them up again. Y'all get outside. You need to get outside now. And then he gets out there and he's like, what's wrong with y'all? I don't understand what's wrong with you. I told you I wanted that dirt moved from over there to over there. And he pointed at it and said he wanted it moved right back where it had been moved from. So they picked up their shovels begrudgingly and began moving the dirt once again. Three, it took them three days to move the dirt. And then at, at, at the end of the three days, they were finished and they were proud of what they did. So they put their shovels down and they went into the dorm to rest. And on the third day, or I mean, on the third, and then and then the for the, or for a third time, the a head monk bursts in there, wakes them all up, has them come outside and says, I just don't get it. I, I don't get why what y'all don't understand about this. I told you I wanted the dirt moved from here to over there. You want it moved right back where they had just moved it from. So the, the, the young man snapped and he was like, I'm done. He throws his shovel down. He was like, you want the dirt moved? You move the dirt. And he and he said he said I, I came here to learn the way I came here to learn about myself and and uh, uh, and you and you, you have me doing chores you have me moving dirt you're crazy old man and the, and the monk the old monk looked at him and and he said young man moving the dirt is easy thinking about it's hard and in that moment. Something clicked with me. And I realized that anxiety was in the mind. It was never in the diagnosis. Why does it come up sometimes and not others? If it was a disease, it would be consistent. And it's not. You can count on the flu. If you get it, your nose is running. <laughs> All right. But at what point does anxiety give you a genuine diagnosis, timing, or reason? It doesn't. So therefore, anxiety is in the mind, not in the diagnosis. And other people's labels of you have no power over you unless you give them the ability to control your life. You are here in this moment, and this moment is all that you truly have to feel to feel depression is to live in the past. To feel anxiety is, uh, or is to feel anxiety is to worry about future events that may never happen. A definition of anxiety, and for those of you with a pad and pen, you may want to write this one down. A definition of anxiety is the fear that one of a pair of opposites will cancel the other out forever. Once you realize that that's not true, you begin to see through the game. You know, and I, I, I love that. And, you know, I just, I, was, I just interviewed a guy, a gentleman. He's got a top 200 podcast in the world. His name is Mark Metry. And he had talked. He's a social anxiety expert. And we were talking about the same exact, same exact thing that we're talking about today. And then last night, I was listening to Pastor Creflo Dollar, and we were just talking about 
same exact thing. You know, there was somebody that once said, um, I've lived a really tragic life and some of the things actually happened to me. I love that quote, but I don't know who said it. Me either, because I know, but we were talking about it. We, you know, we think about so many things and they never happen. (laughs) Yeah, and your memory, when you go over it, like I have caught myself remembering something that wasn't true. And I had to, cause I was, I was actually writing one of my talks and I was going over something in my head and I was like, wait a minute, that didn't happen that way. Why do you, why did you think that? And then uh, you realize it's the telephone game in your own head. <laughs> yep. Now I got to ask you, because if I don't, if I don't ask you, um, it's going to be remiss for the audience. You know, one of the first talks I remember you ever giving, um, you actually gave it and you, I think you televised it or not televised. You, you, you know, you, uh, you taped it and you put it on your page and the whole room got quiet and were crying the the day that you talked about when you got set on fire. And, um, I believe that somebody there that day, and it was me needed to hear that, that your mess becomes your message. So how did you feel when you knew that you were going to be talking about that, but somebody in the audience needed to hear it that morning? Well, so I think the answer to that question within this might be a bit of a cop-out um but my answer to that question lies within purpose because that's how every event is like i have i've went completely broke and 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 i went hungry for days just to save money to be able to go to events and speak because and 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 i'm the keynote like i'm the 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 big of talk at the end and I don't do it for the cameras or the, the accolades or, or the that boys or any of that. It's, it's, uh, it's just for that one person. I was there for you that day. Now I didn't know your name and I didn't know where you were or if you'd be listening. But every time I step on stage and every time I go on camera and every time I talk to people, I, I remember that, and that is that there is, it, I'm not talking to everybody in the audience, and I tell my audience that. My message is not for all of you today. You're all in attendance, but that don't mean this, that, that this is for you. It's for the one person out there that needs to hear it. My ex-girlfriend was asking not too long ago, talking to me about, um, why don't you, you, you need to make more money going to do these talks. You can't be doing it for free. It's not fair to set in another, but it is though, as you know, Zig Ziglar did a thousand and eleven talks excuse me, before he got paid his first $20 to speak on stage. That's crazy. Yeah. And you know, like I had my first, I threw my first branded event April 3rd. And I was the keynote and I started my speech and I'm like, all right, guys, this is not for 99% of you. (laughs) I love it. And so 
pick up your phone, play with your phone, because this is not for you. But there's one person out there. And it's amazing when you tell somebody that something is not for them, their ears perk up. They listen a little bit more intently because, you know what I mean? Because it really isn't because, and you know, what's crazy is that in my experience, the most powerful impacts that are made with those that were in attendance, nor those that came to you and thanked you or called you and told you, but those that you never even knew heard you. I didn't know this until today that you like that. I had such an impact on you. I had no idea. Like that's like, and that's the, those are, those are the greatest ones. Like, and, and, and those of you out there that are listening to this, that want to inspire people and you say, well, I don't have any followers. There are people who follow you when you do things that you will never know are there. I did. I did. When I did that talk, I was not going to that day. Um, I wasn't going to give that talk that day. And um, Eric Swanson, uh, the head of Habitude Warrior Conference, he uh, he convinced me to. I wasn't going to tell it because I thought it was too much of a pity story. And I don't want people feeling sorry for me. And no, I, and I wasn't. And, and for those of y'all who are wondering what he's talking about, about being set on fire, I wasn't set on fire. I was almost set on fire. These people lured me out into the woods. It's a bit of a story how we got there, but they lured me out into the woods and then it popped me up behind the, on the back of my head with a stick hard enough to knock me unconscious. And when I was coming to, I only came to because of the gasoline that they were pouring all over my face and like all over my body and um and then they all pulled roman candles out of their pockets and the big ones <laughs> and they lit it lit them and told me to run and i ran and i ran and i ran and i ran and i don't know how long i ran but i know that it was nighttime whenever it started and the sun came up before i found the dirt road that ended up taking me home so um, that, that story, I didn't, I didn't want to share it because I thought it was too dark, but you know, within your darkness, you find light, your darkness gives the light value. You know, it's, that's, it's part of it. You know, people say, people say, I want to get to the top of the mountain and I'm cool with climbing this, that, and other, but when I get there, I want to relax. Well, here's the problem, homie. <laughs> Once you get to the top of the mountain, no matter how big it is, you get a view. And dang it, dang it, dang it, you get a view. That means you get to see the next mountain. And guess what you got to do to get to the next mountain? You got to climb down. All right. So now we're going to talk about pivoting because I you've done a lot of that in the last couple of years now. For oh, yeah. Well, you know, you were doing. Um, your everyday show, you you know, because I love you had your old setup. You had all your books behind you, and um, you would do a show every day, and you would have guests, and then all of a sudden, pivoted. You changed. Yeah. I mean, and not only did you make a uh, a personal change, but you made a location change. Yes. So talk Very talk much. to us about how this all came into fruition. So the reason that so this is this this uh, 
was something I didn't know was going to happen. Um, I was really devoted to it. And you're right. I was doing my show every single day. Um, and that was the problem is I was live seven days a week. And for for most of the time, I did Tucker's morning motivation at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. Uh, no, yeah, 8 a.m. And at 9 a.m., 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. And then at whatever time, like 10, I was doing Stay Humble, Hustle Hard, where I'm interviewing somebody. And then not only am I interviewing someone, I built customized promos for each one of those people that and not one of them was a copy and paste. So it takes 20 minutes of finding stuff and photoshopping to create them. And then I'm finding the guests. I'm doing all the editing. I'm doing everything, which I didn't have a problem with. And that was the problem. So I thought that just because I could do it, that I could do it, if that makes sense. So I was doing it and I was maintaining it for a while, like you said. But what happened was I mentally snapped. I, I, I was my my videos got to the point where I was having to respond to over 600 comments a day. It was taking me over eight hours a day just to respond to comments. Because I personalized every single response instead of doing a copy and paste, whatever, whatever, whatever. And it broke me. I, I broke myself mentally and I fell into a spiraling depression that tore myself and everything around me to pieces. That's what happened realistically. And I've never said that before on camera or on recording. It's the first time anybody's ever heard that. Well, I guess that's why they call me the Joe Rogan of GI Joes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, talk to us because, you know, like my moment, uh, when they say, you know, that come Jesus moment was the day that I attempted suicide on uh, Memorial Day 2012. And that's when everything changed. So what was it that particular day that made you say, all right, I've had enough. Something has to change. It was that day that I listened to the Zig Ziglar talk because what what was going back and, you know, everybody's got that little demon on your shoulder that's like, you suck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and, but, and that little demon on my shoulder, instead of saying you suck, was going like, because I'm sitting there telling myself, I want to speak on stage. I want to fill stadiums. I want people, I want to, I want to be able to talk to people all over the world. And then the voice in my head was like, wait a minute, bro. You can't even talk to a girl. You can't you can't speak to three people without having without freaking out, sweating and stumbling over your words. What on God's green earth makes you think that you can or even deserve to or even have the right to speak to 300 or 3000 or 30,000 people? And that in that moment when Zig said that, he said, you can have anything. In fact, I do a pretty good impersonation of him if I do say so myself. <laughs> that is, you can have anything in this world you want if you're only willing to help enough other people get what they want. <laughs> you know, and, and I one thing I love about, you know, Zig is, you know, it was always about caring about people. Absolutely. You, you know, it was never a you know, like even when he was selling whatever he was selling, he would, if it wasn't good for the family, he wasn't going to sell it. 
if he couldn't sell it to his or his words, if he wouldn't sell it to his mama, he wouldn't sell it to you. You know, and I think that's one of the things that about me is, you know, like I have a lot of sponsors on my show, but if I don't use the product, I will not recommend it because how can I recommend something if I don't believe in it enough to use it myself? You know, I need to, I, I, I connect you with a girl who reached out to me recently. She just started a military coffee company. Yes. And she's one of my sponsors. Oh, what? Really? Oh, that. Okay, cool. Soldier, Never mind. Soldier Girl Coffee. Yes. Yes, Carrie Marie Beavers. Yeah, she wants to send some coffee to me, and yeah, it's cool. I, I like. She's cool. I drink her coffee every day. So she's she's truly amazing. So what were, you know? Okay, you've come to this realization. So what was your? What was my uh huh? You know, because they say that you know, one of the things if you're if you're in a in a rut, the first thing to do is stop digging. You know, so what were your first steps into getting right again? So, uh, well, for me, it wasn't a getting right again because I'd never been right before. It was figuring out what right was. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, so it was when, when I heard Zeke say that, I realized that I was trying to do it in the wrong fashion. Like I was, so I was going out like this is when I was, this was before I gave the the, the pizzas because Zig saying what he said, what made gave me the idea to go do the thing with the pizzas because before I was just going to like Walmart and the mall and I was trying to walk up to random people and have conversations with, and I was trying to talk to people. And I started, I started, my first thing I started doing was, was walking past people and complimenting them on something that they had on and then kept walking. So I'd walk past somebody and I'd be like, man, that's a really nice shirt, bud. And then just keep going. He'd be like, oh, man, thank you. And you would get a little hit of dopamine. I'd get a little hit of dopamine in my system because I made somebody feel good. And then I got rewarded for talking to somebody. So it's, 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 uh, you, you reward the dog whenever he does good. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I, uh, I started doing that. And, and But I was getting better at talking to folks. But it really wasn't. It wasn't, it didn't click with me. And then Zig said that. And he said that you can have anything in this world you want if you're only willing to help other people get what they want. And or you help enough other people get what they want? And I was like, wow, I'm looking at this the wrong direction. I keep asking myself, how can I get over anxiety? Because I want to get on stage. But I instead, I had a per peridium shift in that moment. And I was like, what have I done for the world that is worth sharing on stage? What have I accomplished that is worth sharing? Because nobody wants a sob story that ends in you're still in your sob story. Like it's like, Oh, I decided I wanted to speak on stage. So I came here and now I'm here and I still suck because I don't, I still don't, I'm still just, all I did was make it up here. I didn't make it any further. But then I, I started doing something for someone else and I put myself aside. I started asking instead of wanting to share my story, I went and started asking people to share their story with me. Sit down with the homeless folks and say, hey, man, share your story with me. Share some wisdom with me. Because, you know, the last person that's going to sit there and judge you for how you're feeling in the moment is that homeless guy sitting on the side of the road that you just gave a pizza to. So if you start shaking and panicking and this, that, and other, you know what they do? 
they don't go, oh my God, what are you, what this, look at this, which I've had people do, look at this retard and then walk off. You know what they do? They reach out and they say, hey, buddy, you okay? Look, look, calm down, man. It's all good. You, you're doing good. And you, and you do it small acts of kindness is how I started breaking it. And the end game is reprogramming your subconscious reaction to act to, to your environment because you have to find out, figure out, ask yourself in the moment when you feel anxious and you're feeling anxiety and things of these nature, what triggered this? Why am I feeling this way? Well, for me, it was just when people looked at me for some reason, my brain was registering it as they were judging me and were probably going to hurt me. Probably because I was judged and hurt a lot when I was younger. Yep. But that don't mean I can't change the program. Yep. And, you know, like I talked, I mean, it's pretty cool that, you know, I'm a ninth grade dropout, you know, uh, and I get to talk to doctors and psychologists and all these high rated people. And I'm like, little do they know that I'm a ninth grade dropout. <laughs> I'm getting an MBA for free. But right. you know, one thing they talk about is your mind, you know, if you guys are listening to this, I want you to write this down. Your mind is a liar. Yes. Your, your, your mind will lie to you. There's no tiger. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> your mind will lie to you and you have to take that tape of the past and you have to put in a brand new tape. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, did, so now with your because your show, I mean, I remember. I mean, you reply to every single comment, and every you, time. you would get so many views, and then all of a sudden, I didn't see anything. Bro, what were you doing I, I, during this time? I, I was suffering immensely. Um, I never stopped because here's the thing is it wasn't I wasn't just doing my show like you know I I guess people I guess I was a life coach which is ridiculous because my life was screwed up like I, I was able to get on camera and share these great messages with people and, and inspire people to do all to, to to do more and be more but I was suffering in my own darkness whenever the lights went out and 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 this and Les Brown tells the same story that that's what he used to do was like he was like he's like I sound good on stage but you should see me behind camera. <laughs> he's like hey. but uh but I was I I went without a job for a while a long while there I um I was a lot of days going hungry I mean I didn't I didn't there were I mean, I remember sometimes I went four or five days without eating. And if my dad hears this, he'll get really mad because he's like, you could have went and found me and I would have fed you this, that, and other. But, like, I was on my own. And it was like I I was trying to find my way back to the light. Because, you know, what's crazy is you can't see the, the stars are always there. They don't go away. But you can't see them till the darkness comes. And I was in the darkness looking so desperately for a star. And I was like – not just like, like I said, you could call it life coach. I, I was, 
I was constantly mm-hmm. being bombarded with other people's negativity every day. They would call me and ask, tell me their stories and tell me what they should ask me, what they should do. And I'm sitting there for hours on end, listening to their negativity and answering questions and never, it was just, a, it was a bad show. I should have been an alcoholic. It would have went better. So then what was that shining star that showed up? I I burned all my bridges and I disconnected from every person in my local area, like local environment that I considered to be a friend. I disconnected from every one of them um, and I, I, I left. And uh, I don't really... What did bring it back, man? I think, I think, real honestly, I think it's got a lot to do with Lauren Harris and and Eric Swanson, and just the people like yourself who've been there from day one. That every now and then reached out to remind me that I'm not living my truth. I'm not. I'm not being who I'm supposed to be. I'm. I am lying to myself and therefore holding something back from the world. And I love and it was, Lauren Harris, and I love. Beth, you know, I love his show. I've been on his show. And what an amazing individual. He really is. He really is. And and me and him, we've had our bouts with each other. But at the end of the day, that is my brother. And I would fight to the core for him. He he's a, he is he truly is a great man. And um and he he every now and then would reach through reach through the the veil and slap some sense into me and I guess he I guess he did it enough times or something. <laughs> so now, you know, a lot of the stuff that happened to you happened to it happened to you in Kentucky, right? Uh not the bullying or anything like that. That the so when I got to Kentucky, that was that was the leaving part. Like that was where um so, well, was one of them. Okay. So the, the first time I went to Kentucky is whenever I dealt with the, where I, I started giving out the pizzas and stuff. And I saw the TED talk and um, I went back multiple times, but uh, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I think I'm sorry. I'm lost. That's all right. So, so where do you live now? I live in Fayetteville, North Carolina. All right, now I got some friends that we got. You got, of course, from North Carolina, like Kurt Ballish, Mark Dudek, some great people from North Mark Carolina. Mark Dudek, really? I didn't know he was around here. No, well, now he lived, he moved out to Florida, but you know, he, those are two two of my amigos. So now, you know, I found, now I've been re- in recovery 30, 32 years, clean and sober, but I found that wherever you go, you bring you with you. Mm-hmm. Ain't that the truth? So when you moved to North Carolina, what was the reason? Why did you move there? And how did you restart your life again? So now that that does have a lot to do with Eric Swanson. Um, that that cut. So I was in Arkansas and I lost my home there. I was illegally evicted 
uh, from my home. Like I'd lived there for like three years, four years. So I don't remember exactly, but I'd lived there for a while. And then my landlord didn't even give me a notice. I couldn't come up with an extra thousand dollars a month. And he uh, gave me 15 minutes to leave. So I lost everything. Like all those books you saw, he kept them all because he, he, t- he said, whatever you can fit in your car in 15 minutes, you get to keep. Other than that, I got somebody who's going to pay me $1,500 a month, and they're here. Com- they're coming tomorrow. And the- he had the police to help him escort me out. Uh, it was bad. But anyway, that's why I left Arkansas. And I went from Arkansas. I packed all my stuff, and I drove to California and to meet Eric Swanson because Eric Swanson told me, he said, hey, bro, the schedule's tight, but if you can get to Cali, I might be able to get you 10 minutes on stage. I had less than $500 to my name, plugs in all four of my tires, no working air conditioner, and it was over 1,800 miles. But sometimes in this sometimes in this life, you got to be willing to go the distance, pay the price, and do whatever the hell it takes make a few sacrifices and it sucked going through the desert with no AC, man. Oh my God. (laughs) But you know what? I would not trade that experience for anything because wow. (laughs) But yeah, I got to California and I spoke at Habitude Warrior and Eric found out I was homeless and he was like, Hey man, come stay with me or whatever for a week or two. And, and, and figure out what you're going to do and where you're going to go. And I was just terrified because I had no idea what to do. So I watched his dogs at his condo for him while he went and did other things. And that was my purpose of existing there. Uh, like, like it gave me a reason to not just be a bum on the couch. You know what I'm saying? And um, I got a phone call from Joshua Colella, which uh, is the owner of Rhino Elite Marketing. And he, uh, yeah, he called me and said, hey, bud, I'm in Fayetteville, North Carolina, selling Kirby's again because he was one of the best in the world when, back when he was in the business. Um, he, he was a global consultant for Kirby. And he called me and he was like, he's like, hey, man, I really uh, think you should uh, come down here. He's like, he's like, well, you can make a thousand dollars a week. Uh, just as a new guy, like it, it, and you'd be really good at it. And it took some finagling because I thought that I was building something in California um, because I was like, I was going around to uh, like in Cali. I did not know this until I'd stayed there for a while. There are like 500 events that are free every night. <laughs> it's crazy in LA. So uh, I was constantly networking and I thought that I was going to build something networking and something was going to click. And I, and, and I guess it's just that Cali vibe thinking you're going to do something. But anyway, I decided to, and I had no money. I was completely broke. And my distributor, Kevin Hensley and his wife, Michelle were kind enough to, uh, believe josh joshua told him he said if you let this guy come out here he'll kill it for you it'll be amazing it'll be great and they gave me a hundred dollars at a time he sent me a hundred dollars and i put gas in the car and i would drive 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 till i run out of gas and i'd be, i would be like bro i need another hundred he's like all right and like four or five hundred dollars later and 2400 miles later in three days <laughs> <laughs> I arrived in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and these people laid, put, set a three thousand 
$3,000 vacuum down in front of me. And they're like, you're going to go sell that in people's houses. And, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what, is, what is this? It's crazy, man. But that's how I got here. And, uh, and I just fell in love with it. The Kirby is the best thing in the, in the in, in, on the market, and no, no one can tell me otherwise. <laughs> All right, well, you know, because uh, whether you know it or not, I once sold Kirby's. Really? When I was a young, young when I was a young, young man. Um, Are you a gold digger? What's that? Were, were you a gold digger? I I couldn't sell one to save my life. To tell you the truth. <laughs> Uh, that was probably that wasn't your fault. That was your team's fault. Well, you know, like, like you know, Zig. Because I go back to Zig a lot because I I read almost all of his books, and he says either sales can be either the highest paying job in the world or the lowest paying job in the world. Good Lord, can you say that again for the <laughs> for the preachers in the back? <laughs> you know, because a lot of people, you know, I tell everybody, you know, if you want to learn how to sell, either do um, sell door to door or sell timeshares because you're going to learn to take a lot of no's. And but once you learn how to talk to people, and and I think after I learned how to talk to people and I became and realized that I was an empath, that is when I started to succeed. So, talk to us about your first couple, you know, door knockings, how that went. Uh, so this isn't going to sound very inspiring, but I sold my very first show. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and the very first show I ever watched, we sold two in a house, um, on a credit card. And, uh, and cause my buddy was like, he was, it was a two story house and it was the, this lady and her wife. And he was like, uh, he, he, he so they 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 he's like do you like the Kirby they're like yeah dude would you use it if you had it he's like absolutely he's like uh, he's like if we make it affordable you gonna go ahead and help me on my contest and get you one today they're like absolutely and he said so let me ask you something how many uh, how many closets do you have in this house and she was like oh I'm da, 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 oh about twelve and he was like so are you gonna get one for each closet or one for each floor so you don't have to carry it up and down the stairs and she was like oh I guess I'll get one for each floor. <laughs> and then so uh so we we sold two in that house and then i did my first show it was the worst show that kirby's ever seen it took me four and a half hours to complete my show and note my show right now is 45 minutes to an hour and 30 minutes sold and doing paperwork and out the house it took me four and a half hours and uh at the end of the show the people i was in a hoarder's house in the middle of the hood and I thought they were messing with me when they put me in this house. I was in the ghetto, as in, ain't no saltine crackers on the shelf. All right. And and I was uh I was kind of like it was uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Uh and I went in there, I showed the thing. They gave me a three or four foot by four foot piece of hardwood floor to do the entire show. They wouldn't let me move from that spot. Four and a half hours later, they bought it and they had perfect credit. So what I learned that day, don't judge a book by its cover. Wait, we can, was in the wait, can you can you say that a little bit louder for the people in the back? 
Yeah, don't judge a book by its cover, unless it's my book, The Plate That Broke the World, One Man's Journey into the Ego. The cover kind of, I mean, it looks really nice. And if and if you, I'd judge it because I made it. <laughs> I get it. But, you know, like I tell the people the story that, you know, you cannot judge when you have in front of you until you yeah. get it. Because um, I was selling timeshares. This guy came to me. He had ripped jeans. He was wearing sandals and a rock T-shirt. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be the longest two hours. And I'm like, he's not going to buy nothing. So we get to the end, and I say, listen, you know, I'm just going to get you out of here because I know you're not interested. Like, um, I'm going to take 52 weeks of that timeshare, please, and I'm going to pay it on my American Express black card. And he bought, like, $300,000 worth of time. And he, the, and he was the CEO, and he was giving the timeshares out as gifts that year. So, oh, my God. So I never, from that moment on, I've never looked at somebody and say, you know, they can't afford it. Because I heard, you know, I'm a big reader like, I, like you are, and I love the books about early Walmart. And the owner of Walmart used to drive around in an old beat-up truck with his bird yeah. in the back. And he was a multi-multi-millionaire. Look so at Warren Buffett. The book by the cover, you know? Look at Warren Buffett. He owns Kirby. He's the third or fourth richest man on earth. The man eats McDonald's for breakfast and, drives a, and drives a car. Yeah. Day, and he pays cash. His wife gives him money for lunch every yeah. day. <laughs> it's so it's funny. It's, it's awesome. It's kind of cool, man. The man made his first tax return at 13 years old. <laughs> like that's crazy and so, but like all right uh, let's talk about sales a little bit now okay because uh, now you went you moved from being the man to now you're trying to teach other people how to do what you do what are some of the things that you can to our audience when they're first starting to get into face-to-face selling so there's a few things that I think people get misconstrued about sales. Um, and I, 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 and I didn't, you know, I thought I knew something about sales until I got into Kirby. Kirby's the oldest sales company on the planet, except for prostitution rings. Like it's where we're 107 years old. We created door to door. Okay. And, and, and I don't say like we as in me, but the, the old dogs that came up with these tricks and, uh, this business is the best sales training I've ever seen. And, and if I had to give you a few tips about sales um, in any department, it is that first of all, fall in love with your product and know that it is the best. Do not sell someone something outside of your integrity. Okay. I sell Kirby's and I can do that. I can sell them for maximum price because I believe in them and I, and it does not hurt my spirit to put that product in someone's home. I'm never going to, to look back on that and go, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. All right. Because I know I'm helping them. So first of all, do everything with integrity. All right. In sales and Zig Ziglar preached this a lot. And that is in sales. You have to have more integrity than any other business in the world because, it, because you are being trained to manipulate people and don't take the word manipulation as a bad thing because it is not, if you've ever uh, had a kid that griped until you got bought him a candy bar, you that kid closed you. That's sales. 
All right. If you've ever tried to get someone to go on a date with you, that was sales. I hear people all the time say, I'm not a salesman, but yet they have a child. Excuse me? Who closed the deal that night? I mean, it takes two to tango. All right. So uh, and and so another big thing is other than just believing in your product and always working within integrity is is remembering that whoever asks the most questions controls the conversation. Whoever controls the conversation controls the outcome. So and if and if I if I'm trying to sell you a Kirby, for instance, we have things called sales clinchers. These are questions designed to get you to say yes, and you don't even know you're saying yes to I want to buy the machine. And I like if I pull some dirt and I say, wow, would you ever imagine these conditions are in the home? You say, no, I pull some more dirt. I say, if it was affordable to remove conditions like this, would you leave them in or get them out? Oh, I'd get them out. Man, that's awesome. All right, so you're going to pull some more dirt. With the pride you take in your home, you wouldn't knowingly walk in these conditions when they're so quickly and easily removed with the Kirby, would you? And they say, no, I wouldn't. I pull some more dirt. Let me ask you, if you had the Kirby and your vacuum next to each other and you had to do a deep cleaning, which one would you grab? I'd grab the Kirby. So do you like it? Yeah. Would you use it if you had it? Yeah. If I could make it affordable for you today, uh, would you help me on my contest and get you one? Yeah. And if they say, oh, man, I can't afford it. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that you're getting it today. I'm saying assuming we could make it affordable for you. I'm not saying it does fit in the budget. I'm just saying assuming we could fit it in the budget. Would you help me on my contest and get you one today? And I'm shaking my head. Yes. All right. If you want them to say yes, shake your head. Yes. If you want them to say no, shake your head. No. That we would monkey see, monkey do. All right. And guess what happens whenever I say that? I turned a no into a yes. You said you'd like it. You said you want it. Um, and now you said, I can't afford it. And I said, no, 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 no. I know you, I know you, you, I know you didn't get one today. I'm saying, assuming we could make it affordable for you, would you help me on my contest and get you one in the home? And they say, oh, yeah, assuming I could afford it. Now you just told me you're going to get it. You just gave me the right to close you no matter what it takes. So now, so, so first, so what have we covered so far? Let's retake, let's recap. We have covered always, always believe, believe in your product, sell within integrity, uh, and ask more questions. You see people all the time that say that, that are in sales and the person tells them no once or twice and they, they give up, they walk away. I'm in a house for 45 minutes and you probably going to tell me no for 30, 20 of them, 30 of them, if you're just trying to be in a, a, a butt or you're trying, you're not trying, you're not being a very nice, not be very nice or you or, or whatever. Cause if I show you a Kirby and you tell me you don't want it, you nasty. Like I just, at the end of the day, it's, it's amazing. Like, <laughs> and I just want to you know, throw something out there, you know, cause like at, when I started crushing it in timeshare is when I actually bought one and actually used it went on vacations around the world. And I, like you said, you, I believed in my product. But when you get a person that comes that you would sit down in front of me, that you know what today, I'm not buying anything, and I'd be like, great, because maybe this isn't for you. Maybe you don't like luxury, but let me tell you about it anyway. And then their ears perk up, and they're like, what? What do you mean? Why shouldn't I own it? You know. So a lot of times you have to do a takeaway 
a soft takeaway while the person's on the table, you know? You do, but you got to be careful, boy. But you got to know what you're doing with that one. Yeah, that's a good one. That is very good because, you know, uh, I, I, that we do that with Kirby as well. I mean, like, like you, I might, I have, we have closed deals while we're putting it in the box, getting ready to leave the house. And we're like, look, you know, I, 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 I can't, I'm not in the business. I'm in the business of getting everybody a Kirby that wants one. I'm not in the business of making people lose sleep or taking cheese out to macaroni. And so look, either the Kirby can stay or the dirt and the dirt can go or the dirt can stay and the Kirby can go. Which one really makes more sense to you? And I say, the Kirby staying. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I get it, you know, because like a lot of times, um, you know, you, you're going to be there and, and, you know, a lot of times it's, you care about the person. Yeah. So don't want to put them into that financial, you know, if they can't afford it. That, of course. Now, that is one thing. I am very honest about that. I'm in the business of getting people Kirby's want them. I'm not in the business of making people lose sleep because I can make a Kirby $30, $40 a month with no payments for three months. I can do that. Now, not every office will allow their salesman to do that. So if you someone hears that and a salesman comes to their house and says, hey, I heard that there's this deal, that's not – no, no, that's not the deal everywhere. But I can do that, okay? Now, um, because our our business, we have our, our – there's a lot of reasons why we can do it. But either way, um, we can make it affordable. But I'm, I have packed up Kirby's and taken them out of houses because their debt-to-income ratio was – high high enough to the point to where if I sold them the Kirby that they are sitting there wanting me to sell them. If I actually left it in their home, I know they wouldn't have enough money to put food on the table. And I don't have the, I, even though it, no matter how much you pay me, I'm not making that sale. And, you know, I, I, I love that. And now, it, you know, there's a difference between salespeople and sales professionals. You know, and, and when you're a professional at sales like we are, or I was at one time, I know that there are no be backs. Um, you know, I'm you're never gonna call me back to buy it. You get and, called a lot in you got you get called a lot of things in sales, but back ain't one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Somehow you crushed it and I've seen, you know, because I you know, I follow you, you know, we're friends and um I consider you a brother. And sometimes I see you closing like three or four a day. Yeah. So yes, what makes you different than everybody else? Uh, you can't outrun me on a treadmill. <laughs> if you get on a treadmill next to me, either you're going to get off first or I'm going to die. You can't outwork me. I'm not, I won't let it, I'm a farm boy, and, and, and I, I know that seems like a bit of an ego statement, but it's not, because it's not for you, and it's not for anyone else, it's for me, like, if you do outwork me, who, like, hoorah for you, like, I'm, I'm so happy for you, but I'm not going to go down without a fight, and, and that's, I think that's really it, is, like, I think what, and the, the, the biggest differentiating factor for me versus the other people that I work around sometimes is that I I come from working on the farm seven days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day, 
365 days a year with no days off, no excuses, no, no, some days with no lunch break. Like it was, and, and then, and, and then, so I'm used to that level of labor, actual slave labor. Like my pitchforks handle, I, I wish I still had it. It was a white oak when we started and it was red and brown when the whole handle was red and brown from the blood on my hands from how hard I would I worked uh, uh, on the farm with it and I came with that work ethic and I brought that into a business where people are used to going to nine to five jobs where they get breaks and days off and excuses and doctor notes and I worked somewhere where if you didn't show up those animals didn't eat and if they don't eat they'll die and that's on you like and that and so come hell high water tornado or rain you're 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 out there and you're working and, and in kirby it's just like anything like zig said you're it's, it's sales is either the best paying job in the world or the worst paying job in the world and here's the numbers and these numbers cannot be disproven they've been proven over 107 years you'll get rich trying to prove them wrong if you knock a hundred doors if you knock on a hundred doors, three people out of those hundred will let you do a show. And out of three people, one person will buy. Everyone wants a Kirby. One out of three people can afford one. And one out of three people will buy. So however many shows you do in a week is exactly how many is, is on average how many sales you will make in a month. So if you're doing if you're doing 15 shows, which is three a day. 15 shows a week, uh, you will sell 15 Kirby's a month. But most people can't handle that. Like once they do one or two shows or they do, if they may go a few days and they haven't sold anything and they're usually not doing three shows a day, but even if they are, some may, they may go a few days and not sell anything and, and it kicks them in the face over and over again. And we call it sacrificing goats to the Kirby gods realistically you're sacrificing uh to karma because if you're going to have a three thousand dollar paycheck karma needs her cut and she you got to do them shows and you got to blank you got to go out there and you got to do that work you got to you got to knock them doors you got to sweep them floors you got to go out there and get them no's and at a certain point when you get enough no's and you get your teeth kicked in enough karma starts going all right all right you're real you really want this time to be rewarded. And that's how sales works across the board. And um, the, I think yeah, that is the differentiating factor is just the work ethic is you can't beat me. Like I, I work, you can't like a bloody broken bones. I'm still working, man. I, and, I, but I'll be gimping on one leg and, and coming in with a half a shirt, but dang it, I'm coming to work. <laughs> so now, because, you know, now we do live in a world of COVID where I think, you know, things are starting to change. But when this whole thing kicked off about a year ago, how did your business suffer and how did you kind of pivot? It thrived. We've thrived more during COVID. We have made more sales during COVID than we have ever made in it in anywhere. We are Kirby sales went up. I don't remember what the numbers were. I think they were up like forty percent across. Now, the, is that the, 
people were home? It's because, it, well, that's one of the reasons. One, people are home. Two, people are scared of a virus because it's it like, well, aside from what television does, like it it's it's something that lands on surfaces. And we have the world's best home maintenance system that uses chemicals that are so safe your baby could drink it and it wouldn't put them in the hospital. And, and, and the, and the, and we're coming into your home and as, as a, and we're an essential service, like the governor assigned us as essential service and we would come into someone's home and we actually have a product that goes in the Kirby that will miss the entire room and kills COVID-19 on contact. Like it, it's, it's uh, Warren Buffett put, uh, millions of dollars into researching uh, this and it is it will it lands on it and well, I say on contact I think it takes a few seconds for it to actually die but it does kill it and it has been proven and we can do that so I mean we're going door to I mean and this right here is going to blow your mind we don't wear masks really we, yes we do not at at all Door to door, we do not wear masks. When's the last time you let a ninja in your house? True. Yeah, yeah. Some some white guy, black guy, even if he is wearing a suit and tie, he comes up dressed looking like a ninja. That looks like Hitman to me. Right. Um, like and you ain't nobody letting you in their house. And people say, and there are other Kirby offices that are wearing masks. And they believe in it and this, that, and other. Uh, we don't and we don't. We will. We just, it, when we tried it, we tried wearing masks and going door to door. No, people would not let us in. And what blew our mind was it wasn't just because we were wearing masks. It was because we were uh, uh, walking with the crowd, so to speak, like like being part of the, the, the hoopla. Like, I'm not going to sit on your show and get political and bash anything and say this is fake, this is that. I believe COVID-19 is 100% real. It, I had it, and it sucks. I don't believe it is what the media makes it out to be, but it sucks really bad. Um, and anyway, we're going door to door. I've been doing this two and a half years. I've met three people in two and a half years, door to door, every day. Three people who claim that at one point they had COVID. Three. Okay, so now I got a question asked, you know, because I'm a big reader. And now one of the books that I read, now this book, you weren't even born when this book came out, I don't think. It was a book by a gentleman. His name is A.L. Williams. Oh, He yes. used to own Primerica. And, and he said, you know, in one of his books that if you work hard, and you work with integrity, you beat 90% of the people out there. That's true. That's true. And then the rest of the, the, the other 10% is just a dog fight between the winners. So, no, and I believe that's why you're so successful. Now, tell us about your book and tell us where the title of that book came from. The, I'm actually, I'm holding it in my hand right now. Um, I, I can't I can't really put it down now that I actually have it. <laughs> it's it's uh it's been so long. Um, but the name of the book is The Plate That Broke the World, One Man's Journey into the Ego. And I wish I could tell you that I'm the one that came up with the name of the book. 
but I'm not. So the book are there's a there and when you purchase the book, you get you see the picture uh, the in the forward of the book. It shows you a picture of the very first paper plate and where the name derived from. So I was trying to explain this aha moment that is in the book. Uh, and it goes over in the book. I was trying to explain it to my girlfriend at the time and I couldn't get the message across because it was too complex for her to wrap her mind around. And so I, I then it clicked with me and I grabbed a paper plate and I realized I could draw on the paper plate what it was that I was trying to explain to her. And it made sense when it, on a visual level and, um, a buddy of mine, Joshua Colella, the one that brought me into Kirby, um, I, 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 ex, I ex, explained to him the story and everything, and uh, and he had this to say. Is it okay if I read his forward? Oh no, brother, this is this is your time. Okay, so um, this is what he said. Uh, he 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 said when my best friend Tucker reached out to me to tell me he was writing a new book, I was excited. He told me he had discovered the secret to relationships in his void. I became intrigued because at this time I was going through my own challenges in my marriage of 15 years. I was the first person to read Tucker's to, to read it as Tucker finished each chapter. With each chapter, it started to become clearer and clearer to me that what I was reading was life changing. I started understanding the plate and how it affected us on many different levels, both personally and professionally. It was then I realized I had a new understanding that I could use to start rebuilding destroyed relationships with uh, a destroyed relationship with my own mother that I had abandoned and condemned long ago. Uh, after finishing the book, it hit me that it's the lack of, of knowledge and understanding of the plate that found the pages that found in the pages of this book that was destroying all the relationships in our lives. That's how the title, The Plate That Broke the World, came to me, because he's the one that told me it. Because of wisdom found in this book, I have taken major steps to rebuild what seemed to be a lost and hopeless relationship with my mother. This book can be life-changing if you apply the lessons. Um, thank you, Tucker. So that's so the plate, the reason it's called The Plate That Broke the World is not just because it was drawn on a plate, but because the concept in the concepts in this book that I go over, um, I go over them. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's never been psychologically never been broken down in this fashion before. And, it, and it's a way that everybody can wrap their minds around around minds around it. And, and the concepts in the book, the lack of understanding them is what destroys everything in your personal life. It is, it, it's the plate that broke the world. It breaks you, your family, your friends, and everything you've ever under you ever known. And every every time you've ever gotten to a point where you snapped and did something crazy, or your relationship got to the point where you couldn't touch each other anymore, you couldn't see each other anymore. You everything you're so distant. Whatever it was, it you were broken. And this plate, this plate concept, is revolutionary. And it will, it, it will heal that. But the plate, it was drawn on a plate, and and it, and it was a, and there's a plate concept in the book. 
what it heals is what broke the world. So yeah, it's the plate that broke the world. <laughs> and I love it. I think that's we're actually going to name an episode that. So that's, that's awesome. Good. But now you know, I've been you know like I said, I've been recovering thirty years, and I realized especially in relationships because um, I'm all about relationships. Life, everything is related. And in order to be a friend, you have to, in order to have a friend, you have to be a friend. Yes. But I also believe that we carry around a lot of um, stuff. We where it, like I, I somebody asked me what are three things that they can do to change your life in the next thirty days, and I said one, forgive everybody that's ever hurt you. Ooh. Ask for forgiveness at anybody that's ever you know, that you've ever hurt. And then the third one, which is the hardest, is to forgive yourself for things that you've done in the past. Because a lot of times, you know, like like you said, nobody can outrun you on a treadmill. But Not if, literally. I'm not saying I'm faster. Oh, uh, no, saying. but I mean, but I'm saying, but if you had a rucksack that just got heavier and heavier every day and this, eventually it outweighed you, you wouldn't be able to run. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, one thing in our, we have to ask for forgiveness. You know, my my stepfather. We had a lot of problems, and I figured out in my life. You know, if if problems with a lot of people, uh, you're probably the problem. You know, you know, you've right. been through ten or ten or fifteen relationships. You're the common denominator, right? You know, so a lot of times I think we have to forgive ourselves to build relationship and forgive others. So talk to us about building or rebuilding relationships. So, uh, so one of the concepts in the book um, that it goes over is, um, is locating your loop. Okay. Um, so like, like we, our minds get into these loops with people um, and ourselves that, that are equivalent to a song getting stuck in your head. And in fact, a song getting stuck in your head is a perfect example because that is a loop. That is a mental loop. You can't, you can't seem to break it. And have you ever noticed that whenever you go to recall a bad situation that happened and you go to play over in your head, there's always three things that pop up right before you think about something that stresses you out. I should have, I could have, or I would (laughs) have. You think about those things. I should have done this to them, or I said I would have done that, or I could have. And if you ever catch yourself doing any of those things with a, your lover, your friends, or yourself, stop. You're going to feel an obligation to finish that thought. We always do. It's like a movie. You got to see the ending, but you already know it sucks. <laughs> you know, I love that. You know, and I, I got the opportunity to talk to a gentleman um, on Monday. He's doing a hundred million dollars a month, Golly. and and he's all you know. What he always talks about, I asked him, you know, he's a billionaire. But, so what's the difference between a poor person and a rich person? Mindset. He said, "Well, there's two things." He says, "Their vocab, their vocabulary, mm-hmm. and, and which is you know, a lot of when you start thinking about it." You know, if a poor person will think a lot different and talk a lot different than a rich person would. And then he said the difference between a poor person and a rich person is the question they ask. 
Yeah. So, and I, and I know you're big on mindset. So uh, I can't wait to get the book. I'm so excited. How can somebody order the book? How can somebody get in touch with you? Or how can somebody, if they live in the, in the Fayetteville area, get a curfew? Okay. Uh, before I answer those questions, can I finish answering that that other question? Because I, uh, I, 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 I want to share one last thing. Oh, brother. Yeah, I got, I got all the time in the world for you, but I'm not going nowhere. Okay, cool. So, um, so when I talk about locating the loop in the book, um, now that concept seems simple to wrap your head around, but in the book, it really goes into detail about it. But the real thing that is that like, it, it's hard to explain over, over, over this, um, without you like reading the book, but the reason that our relationships fall apart is because the plate stops spinning and in my book uh the 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 plate the plate's rotation represents the flow of of a relationship or of a situation or a mentality and uh and there are there are things that happen in your life uh debacles pains, breakups, uh, failures in business, whatever they are. And these things are going to fall onto your plate. Now in the book, they're represented as stones that fall onto the plate. They're very heavy. Some of them are small and some of them are large, but they, and where they come from, who knows? And they fall on that plate and they, and they, they, they pile up over time and they weigh it down. And the more stones are on the plate, the slower it can spin. But the the stones weighing down the plate isn't what makes it stop, because even with even with the even with all the weight on there, that that's that's a that's a vertical pressure. It's not going to stop a rotation. Um. So, you so as these stones as the plate is rotating, these stones get slid off of the edge of it. But the problem is, and where relationships break down is when we create false tethers. See, in the middle of the plate is you, your lover, the moment. It's here. It's now. It, it's the essence. It is. And it is as it is and is as it always was and always will, always will be. And, and then and, 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 and when the stones fall off the side, the, these false tethers get connected could get connected to them that are connected to that center point. And as it falls off the side, it's like a lifeline that holds onto the stone. It fell off the plate, but it's just hanging off the side. And then enough stones fall off the side and you get an angular momentum moving. So the plate is spinning and now you're creating a carousel effect with stones flying all the way around the plate in, in every direction. And Around the plate is a garden, and that that garden is there. There are trees and flowers and beautiful things that you're growing in your life. And these stones, if held onto for too long, reach out, and eventually they knock a tree down there. They crumble a flower here. They wrap around a branch, and now and 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 create this web that come of false tethers, false connections that aren't even real. 
and they end up wrapping around until there's so many. It's like putting a, a, a yarn in a spoke of a bicycle wheel. It can only rotate for so long before it comes to a halt. And that's whenever breakups and relationships get destroyed. Now that the, the, the answer to it, to how to rebuild those relationships, how do you get back to it? Because if there's so many tethers that you can't even see the light of your partner, because they're so far away and you can't even, even if you could break free from the Ted from, even if you could see through the darkness, you couldn't possibly navigate through all the false tethers that you've created. What you have to do is create an ego barrier that cuts the tethers before they reach the garden. And it's easier said than done Buy the book and it's, or get the book and it's, uh, it's free on Kindle. It's 99 cents. Uh, for the the ebook on Amazon, and if you look it up on Amazon as the plate that broke the world um, paperback edition, I think it's fifteen dollars. If you want a, a autograph copy from me, I will personally sign it. Um, okay. I'll write a personal message to you for twenty dollars. Yep. No, it's, it's it's hold on a second. It's Friday night. You stay till midnight. That's my my daughter. She wants to know if she can make. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but it's uh but man that like the, the way you rebuild the relationships is a relationship is if you if and, and i mean the plate the plate could come to a complete halt and that be the end of that but but you never know it might kick back into a bit of momentum and that is like you you have to break those tethers there you have to oh, you have to remove those false belief systems that you've you have created for you and your lover and your friend and yourself and whatever it is that you're doing. And because if you don't, it will destroy everything in your world. Your garden will not, your garden will perish and you will destroy other people's garden while, while carelessly flinging your stones about. Okay. So and, let me ask you a question now, like a couple, and I talk about this a lot. Um, I went a couple of years ago to a brand new dog, walk into the ship and the guy says, hey, my name is Mark, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what are you looking at? I'm, I want to buy a Dodge. And he's like, he's like, how's your credit? I'm like, I'm at like 800, 850. And I got cash. He's like, all right, let's do the deal. And I said, nope, not until you let me see your car keys. Take me out to your Dodge. He said, well, I don't own a Dodge. I said, well, next, let me go get somebody else that owns a Dodge. Because you don't believe in your own product. So. Oof. That was, and, and, it's, and, and I think that's why I started crushing timeshare because I actually owned it. So, mm -hmm. you know, so now tell us, you know, that you wrote the book, how are your relationships? Well, I mean, I know this is going to sound bad because the book's kind of about it, but like the book came about because of a broken relationship. Like I, like I'm an Aspie. Okay, I'm this is not an excuse for me, but there are a lot of memes out there that says behind every angry woman is a is an Aspie trying to figure out what they did wrong. <laughs> so I am terrible with social cues and relationships. Um, I, I got a southern draw. So women, I guess, are attracted to me or something. I don't know, I guess. But like, I don't know how to. I'm, I'm just a old, I'm a Southern gentleman and, but my quirks, my quirks make it hard for you to, for people to be with me because, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, 
uh, I don't know. I'm just different. I'm very different, very different. And, um, and, and my relationships, this concept has helped me a lot. Like I was just with, I mean, me and my girlfriend that we were together, um, for four and a half, nearly five months. And we broke up the other day because of what's in this book. It wasn't an argument over the book. It's just the plate stopped turning. You know, and, and I, and like I said, I have a son now, so yeah. I told, you know, I totally understand it. So now and, the question I ask everybody, because I already asked you how we can get in touch. And of course I'm going to, post this everywhere because now I'm omnipresent. I'm on like 10 different platforms now. But, you know, we live in a crazy world. We live in a COVID world still. You know, we got grandparents that are homeschooling kids uh, up north. And we got some parents driving Uber just to put kids and food in the kids' mouth. So, you know, if I ask somebody, an average person to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it. Yeah. But if I tell them, tell ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, change your life, they're more likely to do it. So if somebody is struggling out there, whether either personal or business or both, what can they do in the next 24 hours to start to get some help? Serve. Serve someone that you're not used to serving. Step out of step step out of your routine and out of your your own head and go do something kind for somebody for absolutely no reason other than the fact that you can like it it's really it sounds cliche but your life is never going to change until you change your life and until you start making tiny alterations because you can't change it overnight. Now I will say this change happens in a moment. What leads up to it takes a lifetime. Like I used to smoke two and a half packs of cigarettes a day, a day. And I smoked cowboy killers back in the day. And when I quit, it wasn't a process of, oh, I had to try to quit over a period of time because I did I, I wasn't putting it down. I quit because change happens in a moment. It took a lot. It took hundreds and hundreds of packs of cigarettes to lead up to that. But the actual change happened in an instant. So if you if, so if you want to do make a tiny change every day that. Maybe isn't for you, like. In the pain, do something that that you don't normally take a different route to work. It seems it seems like that wouldn't do much for you. You're like you're like I'm struggling, I'm depressed, and my business is failing. And you're telling me take a different route to work. Really? Like it's it's not about what it is you do. It's it's about the fact that you're switching up the program. And what that does is, is 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 it stimulates your mind in a way that gives you creative juices that weren't there before like for instance when when me and my girl broke up i mean that it did it tore me apart i ain't gonna lie that it hurt it really it did like bad but i'm reading more books now so i listen to books every day now people say well why don't you listen to music well first of all 
if you've ever been in a bad relationship and you break up and you listen to music, it always plays what you don't want to hear. But second of all, it's not as stimulating. You know the words to all those songs whenever they play. Let an audiobook play in the background and watch what happens. New things get firing in your head and then you break the loop and you start playing a different tune, a different song. And then your brain goes to functioning and fo focusing on different things. And if you're in a business, if you're struggling right now and you need something to change really fast, change the little things that don't seem to have anything to do with it and watch and watch little tiny things will happen and serve someone else. Go do something, serve your way to success. Nothing changed for me until I put myself aside and stepped out there in them streets uh, uh, oh, uh, and, and, and did that for those homeless folks. I did something for someone else. And then suddenly everything shifted. Yeah. yeah. And I love that. You know, and I know that, and I, I believe in it, you know, I'm a man, I try to be a man of God. Anyway. I fail him every day, but you know, there are certain biblical principles, you know, that I believe that if you're struggling financially, somebody else you know or if you're struggling with relationships befriend somebody else mm -hmm. whatever you're struggling with uh, help somebody else like you said serve your way to the top so uh, brother i'm so grateful for you to come on today um you're like i said at the beginning you're one of my heroes and if it wasn't for you I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. So I personally want to say thank you and thank you for your friendship. And you got a pretty good voice because I remember the song you wrote. Oh, man. Which one? It had like a little country country twang to it. Oh, my God. What are you talking about? Are you talking about Daddy Shine or are you talking about uh, uh, the um, uh, Damon in a Bottle? Demon in the bottle. See, see, I see. I'm paying attention. I still. Uh, that's one thing about building relationships is when you know you know that we may not talk every day, but we were in each other's lives. So, yes, so brother, I I'm so grateful for you. Um, I can't wait to get the book. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a Facebook live on it, and I'll tag you in it, of course. And I just want to say thank you for being you and keep changing the world one vacuum cleaner at a time. <laughs> All right, buddy. It has been a blessing, truly an honor to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, if you, and hey, man, we need to do a Facebook Live together. Uh, I need to, I really need to get back to doing my show. I appreciate uh, you always being there and always being such a great supporter. Um, and for all of y'all watching, you know, uh, a little to leave you with a little bit of wisdom um, to implement. And that is if you can go out and be the spark that lights the way through the darkness for even one person a day in any shape, form or way, it won't matter if your name isn't remembered throughout history or you get rich in the process. Your entire life will have inevitably been worthwhile. So go out and pay it forward. I, I um, say it any better. So I love you, brother. Have an amazing weekend. And enjoy your weekend. Are you working tomorrow? Oh, no. I am so tired. I am done for the week. All right, brother. Well, have an amazing weekend. I love you. No, you too, buddy. Right, be brother. blessed now. Be good. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.